Hey everybody, welcome back to the cabin. Alright, I'm going to continue with my uh, talks on this channel about self-reliance and where to start. Uh, if you're new to the channel, my name is Sean James. I'm the owner of this channel, myself, or Sean James, as well as the channel My Self-Reliance. And uh, lots of videos, five, six, seven hundred videos, maybe more than that, not sure. But I've been doing this for ten years, essentially, the uh, online content, and I've been... Uh, uh, preparing to live off-grid for well, I lost my business in 2010 so I've been doing self-reliance type stuff to get back on our feet since then essentially 2011 so in the last video I talked about uh, getting some basics put away if you're new or young and you're just starting out or not even if you're young I guess if you're just starting over or starting out then uh, just getting a few things put away and what I suggested was getting some food put away. So a few uh, five-gallon pails full of grains, essentially. Grains and beans. Seeds. And uh, that kind of gives you a buffer of a month or two just to get... Um, well, for one thing, let's say you lost your job. Then you wouldn't have to buy food that month. Um, you could survive on that. So that's what I'm, why I'm suggesting something as basic as that. And then also water. I've got a stream of well, fresh water. But... <laughs> It gave me Jardia, so it's got to be treated. It's uh, but it's surface water that I can filter and drink, which I have been doing. Um, so I've got all the all this water around me. I live in an area that's got thousand, well, so many lakes, so much fresh water. I think we might have the most fresh water in the world, actually, uh, Ontario, Canada. So water is not an issue as far as accessing or getting that water, but I do have to treat it. So that's what I'm suggesting: is always have a way to treat the water. But one of the questions I get, and it's kind of premature for most people, is what they should be looking for in land. Like, like what, what kind of land, what size especially should they get? And I'm gonna, that really depends on where you are, your climate, and also the conditions. I'm going to show you something down here in the garden. But basically the two pieces of property that I own, and let me think back. Well, I'll stick with these two for now. Two pieces of property I own were former homesteads. I'm not sure what our act was called, but it's basically like the U.S. Homesteading Act. We had something similar back in the 1800s here. So there were land grants, and I think there were 100 acre parcels. Most of Ontario is uh, divided up into 100 acre parcels. Uh, so, what, 330 feet by 1300 feet, roughly? 1300 meters yards what's <laughs> that no 1300 feet by 3300 feet is the dimensions of the 100 acre parcels they were granted with you know obviously some variances but they were granted um, to European families mainly and they had to come over and develop them within a certain amount of time so they I think they had to have them converted to basically farmland growing food within a say a year or two in order to be granted title so this piece of property i know for sure a lot of people died here on this piece of property and in this area because they tried to farm it and the soil was so poor that um, disease basically took you know all the children and uh just really tough times so they ended up just converting it to a logging area so lumber so fully clear cut from what i understand right down to nothing and then probably all the soil that was here even that they had built with their livestock and crops would have been probably washed away eroded into the stream and washed out to way down the ponds and streams and rivers and out to the georgian bay so 
and then to the ocean maybe even so it's um yeah really really infertile that the problem right here specifically and this would have been from glaciation is that this is really sandy and rocky so i've got um, i don't even know how deep the sand goes but way down i dug this foundation and i literally found i think i said three pebbles or something like little rocks in this entire section it was literally just sand in fact i could dig and i started digging in march when the ground was still frozen everywhere else because this was sand not holding any water you could just dig into it as if it was still summertime crazy but so my challenge is okay how in modern times and with all the knowledge we have about soil building and food growing especially on a small like homestead level uh, what could i do to improve the soil so that i could grow things here so I'm going to show you just this garden down here, what you could grow on it. But yeah, let's start with that. I'll show you that. Walk down to the garden. Oh. Coming? <laughs> That's my gate. I didn't get around to building gates, and there's four entrances to this garden. And the moose have been coming in and browsing. They've topped off all my fruit trees, and I knew that was going to happen eventually, but I was hoping that uh, our activity would keep them out, but they just come in at night and they wander around like they did before I was here. They literally circled the cabin and they knocked over, you saw that video, the uh, my deer target a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago, but the um, problem is this is would have been one of their kind of their this was really, really thick, like specifically right here, but they would just browse and kind of walk along this meadow edge. So I've interrupted their pattern here. What I have here is a south facing slope. So slight slope facing south. And I've got these uh, big pine and spruce trees and fir, uh, larch. Uh, there was a couple of big uh, red maples in here. Yeah, a couple of birch and something else. And well, a few cherries and things like that. Hopefully that uh, mic isn't too bothered by the wind. Uh, the problem is, because it's sandy, and then we have all these conifers, is that it's really acidic. In fact, this is essentially a bog. That whole meadow has a... The water pretty much comes right up. The water table is like almost right at the top of the soil it's soil <laughs> quotation marks it's not really soil it's literally moss and ferns and cranberries and uh, uh, what do you call it spirea um, alders I can see lots of alders coming up just really really acidic so it doesn't grow vegetables basically which is what I'm trying to grow here so I can harvest berries like it's fine for blueberries there's all kinds of native blueberries around here the uh, cranberries, uh, bearberries, um, uh, wintergreen, raspberries, blackberries. Must be some other berries, lots of berries. Cherries, black cherries, hop horn beam. So, not high dense. No, well, first of all, no, even that stuff didn't grow in abundance. So, there's lots of plants, but not tons of fruit, like not enough to sustain me. So I'm converting this to food production. Now that great big beautiful pine tree that I love, that I've been keeping, and I had kind of right behind the greenhouse before I took it down. 
I hate to take it down because I just love big old trees, but I'm going to take that one down because it's shading this garden too much and it's impacting what little growing I success. Well, I've had a lot of success in this garden. I'll tell you why in a second. I'm going to go back to the to the uh, cabin and get out of the wind here so you can hear me properly. You can't <laughs> you can't see it, but I've got this wire fence goes across the other three openings, so it is stopping the moose from getting in there. I mean. They could jump it or push through if they really wanted in, but there's not that much in there that that's attractive enough to justify that when there's lots of natural food for them. It's not even that cold, but I still have a cold and it's damp. <laughs> so I'm actually struggling to breathe a little bit. All right, so what I was showing you there, I'm taking that big pine tree down because what it's doing is it's stealing moisture from the garden and then it's all obviously providing her casting shade on part of it as well and I really do need the full quarter acre that I've got cleared there so it's about 100 by 100 feet and I've got it it's basically I'm developing it as a food forest so the entire perimeter fence area I have what blueberries uh, different things like shisandra, kiwi, hardy kiwi uh, hazelnut, um, grapes, wild grapes, and domestic grapes, like wine grapes or grape juice grapes. Um, uh, sea buckthorn. A uh, whole bunch of things like that, anyway. Yeah, a lot of vining things. I'm trying to think what else. Some obvious vines that are growing along, but I can't think of them. Anyway, and then throughout. I've got um, around the uh, north perimeter. I have hazelnuts there's too there as well. I've got elderberries and then fruit trees randomly throughout, and then a ton of sea buckthorn, which is not the buck invasive buckthorn that you might be thinking of from that grows in the southern U.S. or well, I guess lots of parts in the U.S. This is a nitrogen fixer. It's a sea berry. It's a really healthy food that you can eat the leaves and the berries from. But why I have it for those purposes, but also because it fixes nitrogen, takes an um, air more nitrogen, essentially atmospheric nitrogen, and um, through bacteria in its roots converts it to nitrogen that the plants can actually uptake, which is severely lacking here in this garden. So again, really sandy, tried to be farmed in the past 150 years ago, failed, reverted back to a forest. I don't know if that was the composition of the original forest, but nevertheless, it's a successional forest has come back and I cleared it, created the garden there, really acidic, really sandy, and I'm only be able to produce things because I've been choosing acidic liking plants that can handle lower pH. And also because I've been improving the soil with a ton of wood chips that I've been making with all the branches and then straw that I've been bringing in and some manure, uh, some compost that I brought in as well and a little bit of soil that filled those beds, although a lot of those are also just rotten logs in the bottom with soil on top, which is another soil building technique. So I'm converting that slowly over time. It's been four years now. I grew enough calories there for, uh, I don't, I don't want to exaggerate this, but because it was between this and the other quarter acre garden that I have that we were able to grow enough for four people calories, uh, but including also the meat 
but for sure I know I can grow food if I grow it intensively in that garden to feed at least two of us and probably four of us if I concentrate on the right crops. So the right crops um, for us here and in these conditions, mainly potatoes and other root vegetables. So really high calorie um, foods for per square foot of growing area. Now potatoes is the best actually in the world for dense uh, calories per square foot. Corn is the only one that even comes close and then wheat, but they need much different conditions than what I have here. I could grow barley, like barley would grow in an area like this, but wheat is something that you need better, deeper soils for, which that you get in the, like the bread basket of North America, for example, um, like in the prairies. But here that would be a struggle and corn is a really, really heavy feeder. You got to feed that nitrogen, especially like crazy. And I just wouldn't have that. And I also, because it's sandy, the water goes right through. It's not only nutrient deficient, it's also, like I said, acidic, but not, uh, dry. So that organic material that I'm growing or building on top is um, holding more moisture, but still not enough to grow corn without irrigating. And the problem with irrigation, the way I've got it now, is I water from the stream. I've got a uh, pump, a gas pump down there, and then five gallon pails for like spot watering but uh it's acidic water so it's just making it worse if i keep doing that so the the uh, goal this year 2024 is to start feeding the garden with the uh, rainwater off these rooftops so collecting it for drinking also collecting it for irrigation all this being said if you are dreaming of homesteading <sighs> i'm gonna get some heat for this but forget about livestock because you're probably so far away from being able to own a piece of property that you can raise livestock on, but also build the infrastructure for if it doesn't previously exist, and also provide enough food. Because here's the big lie about uh, even chickens, but especially larger animals. If you don't have the pasture to grow the hay, then you're not self-sufficient. You don't have a self-sufficient homestead. You're not providing your own food because you raise cattle with somebody else's land because you harvest the, the hay from there. For how, Up here, it's more than half the year. So from personal experience, uh, back in 2000, i got to check, check the dates, but I think, say, say 2012, my wife and I, and she actually became a registered breeder of these cattle, but we got some Dexter cattle. And we average had, I think... Um, what do we have? Just two cows and a bull. And these Dexter cattle are small. Like the Diego was our bull. Cute little guy. About that big. And really docile. Eats half of what a full-size cow does or less because they're good foragers as well. And uh, then they, the two cows would have calves each, each year. So at most we had five animals on that field and it, we had a nine acre field that we were leasing and it was similar conditions to this really acidic so poor soil and then it had some random like spruce trees and stuff growing up and crisp uh, pines maybe but mostly i think spruce trees growing up randomly in the pasture and uh poor soil so i actually was like putting alfalfa and clover and stuff out there without lime and it was some of it was growing but not enough to sustain them anyway it was like late june by the time i could even get them 
properly on that pasture even though our grass starts growing in May maybe it was early June but not like abundant grass so I'd try rotational grazing in small parcels like one acre parcels and moving that around but they would go through it so quick that by September end of August probably when we start getting drier weather the uh, pasture was done so I was already buying hay so let's say for sure full months would be September, October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May that I'm buying hay and then calling myself providing our own food or sustainable farm or sustainable homestead. It wasn't the case at all. On the other nine acres that we had, because so, we had 18 acres and a barn in the middle and a little barnyard house and then uh, 100 acres of bush, but it was basically swamp, so couldn't do anything in there. Um, the other nine acres I had planted uh, peas, like cow peas, um, barley, wheat, buckwheat, lots of buckwheat, a few other things, and then pastured um, uh, pork. Well, fenced in a uh, an area for some heritage pigs, and then I would feed them the buckwheat and pumpkins and things. So. Didn't end up buying any food for those. I actually would just take the entire buckwheat plants, take a scythe, cut it off, throw the whole plant in there. They would eat the whole plant, including the seeds. So they're getting lots of protein. So they, and they fattened up really nicely doing that. So I was able to grow enough food for the pigs, but on big acreage, uh, keep in mind. The chickens, if you've ever grown meat chickens, <laughs> these, uh, we bought the um, White Rock Cross and at I did several like over the couple of years and and even at our house at the time I did some like 10 at a time in a pen uh, those things are just bred to be meat producers so they get massive really fast they have hardly any feathers on them so they're easy to pluck which they look so they look hideous they're not uh uh they can't um protect themselves from the weather really well because they're not fully feathered and they grow so fast that they're hurt, they have heart attacks. They li literally just fall over and die. And half of them can't even walk by the time you're processing them. So they get up to like six, nine pounds in that range within a really short period of time. I forget how long. Anyway, because they're so stupid and bred, inbred, and, and uh, built for meat production, they're not good foragers. So they're getting some food from the grass and the bugs and everything. And if you keep moving it, you know, and you have cattle, they're following behind and get the beetles and stuff out of the cow dung. They'll get you know, some of the calories, but still not anywhere close to enough. And then it's limited, of course, then seasonally to when you can raise those. So you basically are in the summer raising them. You couldn't raise them in the winter, except for in a heated space, which economically, I'm not even sure if that ever works out. So that's meat chickens. The uh, laying hens. So everybody keeps asking when we're going to get laying hens, why we don't have laying hens for, for eggs and then for like soup hens when they finish laying or like they get older. Um, the reason is, be one of the reasons is because it's not sustainable if you're not growing your own food for them. And again, in this climate, you're probably growing your own, you may be growing enough food for them for five months of the year. So less than half the year. And, uh, you can keep giving them giving them your food scraps like leftovers throughout the year which is fine it's great to feed them that we always did and do or did um, but it's not enough 
calories and not enough protein for them to lay proper eggs and for them to be healthy. So you end up having to buy grains. And if you're buying grains, then again, you're not self-sufficient. So everybody I know grows or not grows. They buy all of the grains. And if you buy organically, we're pretty stringent about eliminating chemicals and processed food from our diets. So um, we only buy organic feed for any of our animals in the past. So that's really, really expensive now. Like it's, it didn't work out economically then. And I, by the way, I was growing up to a hundred at a time of those chickens because I was selling the excess. So I was selling organic beef and chicken and pigs or pork uh, to a market. Um, but I wasn't making any money because the cost of organic feed at that time was high. But at least I think we were getting our stuff for free, our food for free because there was just enough profit on what we did sell. But now organic feed has gone up so much more that I guarantee you it'd be cheaper. It is cheaper for me to buy my eggs and probably my chicken, but I might do some, raise some chickens for another reason but to tell you. But, um, eggs aren't economically sustainable either. Like if you are going out and buying and paying 50 bucks a bag for organic feed, I have all the calculations somewhere. Unfortunately, my website kind of died. I lost all the articles and stuff I had written, but I had done all the calculations on all calories of everything that I eat or that you would get off a homestead or a farm. And the uh, the eggs, like the, the cost uh, analysis, cost-benefit analysis of growing your own or raising your own chickens for eggs, it's not really economically viable. So that's unfortunate talk so long my battery died <laughs> oh man where was i so the chicken cost cost of raising chickens for eggs so the cost of eggs around me and i've got a neighbor relatively close we have to go buy them anyway so like past them so by getting the eggs from them i think we're up to we've got two of them because one of them she only has like i don't know 10 chickens or something in her backyard and they're running around even now in the snow uh, and she feeds organic she's at eight bucks a dozen and i think the other one's at six bucks a dozen uh, but again if you do the math on that that it's so it's not snow it's not more sustainable for us to have our own chicken flock because we're buying the feed so if we're going to buy something, we might as well buy the eggs from somebody who likes doing it and wants to do it and maybe has the, set, the system set up already to do it and we get to support them. And what we typically end up doing, like we do with our other farmer that provides some stuff to us that we can't mention, we uh, barter. We, we grow things and I harvest wild game and fish and stuff and we actually we just trade. So there's a benefit that way too. So it makes sense for us to get our eggs that way. Um, not that I don't want to get chickens again, I'm sure we will, but I need to figure out and solve the food feed, chicken feed situation before we get back into a flock of chickens. Okay, so <laughs> killing people's dreams, but uh, so that's the main livestock things. I don't know about uh, goats, I've never had them. Our good friends have a lot of goats, but she doesn't make money on the meat and um, she's still feeding them grain for the most part because again unless you have acreage and proper food you have to buy in the food um, like we'll bring christmas trees to her and stuff and things the goats will eat the christmas trees but mainly for deworming not because there's a lot of calories in it for them so 
uh, it's probably more economical in a place like this or in rough land, like not productive land, to have goats than it would be a lot of the other livestock. Uh, sheep, my, I don't know if my sister ever, again, made money on her sheep because she had to buy hay for half the year, even though she had, well, no, she ended up, okay. <laughs> Disclaimer for all of this, if you have enough land and it's fertile, then you can do all of these things. So my sister got to the point with her 70 acres, she had the right amount of animals on the land that they were improving it with the manuring of the the pastures because she was able to rotate them. So she had uh, lambs or like sheep and uh, cattle and well, she had pigs and stuff, but those were the things that were ro uh, rotating throughout the land and manuring it. And then she had hay. So she got to the point where she didn't need to buy hay. So I'm not sure where the calculations exactly. Uh, I'll have to ask her how many, I did at one point, but how many acres she figured she ended up needing per animal to have them pasture themselves during the summer, the growing months, and then uh, enough hay off the other fields to provide enough hay for the winter. Because she was very, she's very organic as well, and doesn't feed any grain to the cattle. Anyway, they say an acre per cow is enough, but then you would need at least that again in our area, especially for hay, and probably if you can assume the one acre for if it is only four months, well, let's say you have better soil and you can get five months of grazing, then you're, you know, seven months of hay, which means you're probably with two cuttings in a typical year here, you're probably going to need double. I would say that acreage, so say two more acres per cow, so three acres per cow of actual pure grass, pure uh, like hay. Even that's optimistic. I think it might be worse than that. And then straw if you're uh, for bedding and stuff too. So you're going to grow your own grain instead of straw. Not discouraging anybody from from raising animals, just be realistic about it. And if you have to build infrastructure, you're doing it for the next generation. You're not doing it for, to save money for yourself. If you're putting up fencing, and I did that at that farm, I put up electric fencing around the whole perimeter because the old page wire fence had deteriorated and fallen over and everything. So I propped it up where I could and then put electric fencing everywhere. But if you do that and then a barn, if you have to build a barn or run and shed, and then uh, for chickens, a coop and a, pen to keep the animal the predators out which is a real problem if you've never raised birds really really hard to protect them from raccoons and here weasels and and uh well we have fishers and and martins especially here but uh, and raccoons it's really really hard to protect them um so building all this infrastructure just sets you back your your uh your payback time significantly so again do it if you like to do it but uh, don't do it thinking that's your dream that you're going to build a place like me from scratch out of the forest like i have put all those things in place and then economically have a payback it's just not going to happen in my lifetime and it's not viable here so what am i doing what kind of land should you buy <laughs> i bought these degraded land lens uh, properties because they were cheap relatively cheap if i bought agricultural land like in this size it would be five ten times what i paid for these things so that's why i ended up what i with what i got knowing that they weren't going to be super productive but what i can what i have been able to do on both properties 
uh, concentrate on a quarter of an acre each of uh, soil uh, improvement, growing acidic crops like potatoes and uh, blueberries and things like that that do well until I can improve those conditions by adding more organic material, building up the soils, adding wood ash and even lime in a couple of cases. And I'm going to try adding more lime here. So amending the soil to the point where you can grow intensively in a smaller area, all the you know, all of the calories you need from a well, I would say grow all the calories you need. Period, if you can, and then meat is going to be a bonus. So you can always barter, trade, or store that um, those vegetable uh, food foods for long term, or like I said, for trading, but. Um, if you do that, then that's your fallback. That's your your safety, your security, and then add food or meat on top of that. So for me, because I'm not going to be able to like improve the land at a scale that I could grow livestock on this property. They tried it in the past, like they said, and failed. But what I can do is improve the habitat for wildlife. I'm a hunter and a fisherman. I have my trapping license. I forage. Um, gained quite a bit of knowledge about all of those things over my lifetime. So I'm able to get a lot, like this year I got enough calories for more than two of us, strictly from harvesting from the wild. But if you combine that with the fruits and vegetables, enough food will easily for four of us. So um, that's what I'm able to do in my area. Now you can't do that everywhere. And maybe um, there'll be years I can't do it here, but by improving the land, like what I'm doing here, like cutting, you'll see by this drone footage, Back behind here, 125 yards, I've got a food plot that I'm about to put in. So I'm clearing the trees. I've got the path, the new trail that goes back through there. I'm cutting other areas so the sunlight can reach the forest floor, which it's not doing right now, which creates a flush of new um, growth of trees and sap like saplings and other herbaceous layers. That's going to increase the um, varying hare population, which is a hare is basically a rabbit. If you don't know that, that we don't have rabbits here. We have hares, just that one kind of hare. And then uh, grouse. I've got quite a few grouse, but they'll, they'll vastly grow in population as I do this habitat improvement. Deer, I'm on a fringe, like it's more of a moose area, but I have enough deer that I've been harvesting them in the area on both properties. And uh, by increasing the food for the deer, I'll increase the deer population, which means more of my family members um, can can harvest. Like my wife has her hunting license, Emily has her hunting license, and sister and niece. So we can harvest, sustain, figure out the sustainable harvest level, and then make sure we increase improve the land. Or um, this is my project. This entire property is all my building and my gardening and everything. I don't have help with anything on this property other than my wife, uh, you know, doing some, you know, housekeeping and stuff with me and, and, uh, obviously advice and support and all that kind of stuff. Not great woman. I'm not saying she doesn't, it's not a help. I'm saying here on this property, this is my baby. This is me getting this ready for, for us to, uh, live on. But, um, it's done tasks with it because she's dealing with the other homestead. But uh, anyway, we could all be harvesting enough food here on this land for uh, meat and bears too. Adding the, a lot of the nuts and berries and stuff that I'm adding throughout the entire property, including the garden here. I've been improving the bear population as well, which I've been harvesting. And if I can get moose tags, 
or if we're in a survival situation, there's tons of moose. And as I clear stuff, the moose population increases. So that's what I'm focused on. And then I've got lakes within walking distance on both properties that I can harvest. If I hit all the species, I can sustainably harvest um, a lot of fish, actually, a lot of fish calories without impacting the population because they're not heavily fished and they're not um, species that are really heavily targeted for the most part, or I've got enough variety that I, that I can target the less desirable species. So, it's just getting too long. I'm at the point where I'm telling too much of the story, but basically, to answer that question about what kind of land and where to get land and all that kind of stuff, start off small if you have no intent, or stay small if you have no intention of getting livestock because of the reasons I just laid out. So if you think, I can't get into this because I can't afford a 50 acre or 100 acre parcel with pastures. Don't worry about that. Just form relationships with people that do have that kind of land and either buy your beef or your, your meat or barter for it, trade for it, or find hunting land, whatever. Like We're surrounded by crown land here. I can hunt publicly even if I didn't own this land. So there's always ways to get uh, your, your meat. But don't think that you're not a homesteader or you're not able to live sustainably unless you do that. Because sustainability and, and homesteading is also community. So um, build a community and, and be valuable within that community, providing what you can. And then uh, rely on others, which is not counter self-reliance. It's just a different form of self-reliance. Reliance is to, you know, yeah, rely on other people for what makes sense. And then but be a provider too so that you're not the you're not you know needing to take from others or even to buy from others without having something valuable that you're providing in in exchange that's the best way to operate anyway hope that answers your questions <laughs> but if you're really serious about uh, land look at the graded land less desirable out of the area out of the way like this no possibility of getting uh, power to here or any utilities ever so that makes this cheaper forever except for somebody who wants to do what i'm doing is willing to be off grid and to well if they were to buy this off me for example in the future it's going to be fully self-sustainable so who cares if it has utilities but um that takes some hard work to get it to that point so Anyway, uh, to me, I love doing that. So that's what I would suggest. Find some cheap land that's undesirable for a reason that you're going to remedy and that you can find happiness on anyway. All right, <laughs> that's it. Um, as always, if you're interested, then I guess subscribe. I never ask people to subscribe or to hit that notification bell, but yeah, it's free to subscribe. You hit the bell and hit all if you want to get all the content. And I will continue on this channel to talk about this. And if you're interested in just seeing sort of the quiet, um, uh, reflective life of self-reliance in a cabin or in the wilderness on either of our homesteads, then uh, my self-reliance is a, uh, my channel where I put longer form videos and more cinematic. And I spend a little bit more time editing those videos so they're a little bit more enjoyable to, to watch. Anyway, thanks for watching. Appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing you back here at the cabin next time. Take care. Mm -hmm.